Matthew chapter 6, and beginning our reading at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for our time together this morning. And Lord, we thank you for your words. Lord, we thank you that your word is truth, that your word is steadfast and eternal. And Father, we just ask that you teach us. Lord, help us to see the truth in your word. Help us to fix our eyes on Christ and would his name be lifted high. And it's in his great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I wonder what you'd say is your greatest treasure in life. What's your greatest desire or your greatest ambition is? That thing that you stare out the window at work and daydream about or you find yourself thinking about it as you lie awake at bed at night trying to get to sleep. What is the thing that you want most in life? Or maybe you already have it. And so what is that thing more than anything else that your desire is to protect it, to save it, to keep it at all costs? Now I'm sure our minds jump to many different possibilities there. Maybe your greatest treasure, your greatest joy is your kids or your husband or your wife. Maybe it's a desire to have those things. Maybe your greatest treasure That which keeps you up at night and consumes your thoughts is your career and your job progression. Maybe it's making money and dreaming of having a bigger and better house, a better car and going on more and nicer holidays. What really is it that you're devoted to? Well, over the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at three sections at the start of chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus is teaching in his Sermon on the Mount about religious practices and about how those who are in the kingdom, how believers in Christ, are to act in these practices. We looked at giving, praying, and fasting, and how we're not to be like the hypocritical Pharisees and desire the attention of others in all that we do, but rather we're to do it for the glory of God, desiring him above all else. But Jesus now changes from these three religious practices which he encourages us to do in private and turns instead sort of to our life as a whole. And in these verses, he demands something of us. This is what I want us to see this morning from these verses. Jesus demands unswerving loyalty to the kingdom of God. Jesus demands unswerving loyalty to the kingdom of God. And so let's unpack that from these verses. What does that mean? Why would we want to do that? And how can we possibly do something so drastic? So, 
from these verses we see, we really see three points this morning. And what I actually want us to see is that there are three pictures that Jesus shows us in these verses. Three comparisons. We see two treasures, two visions or two eyes and two masters. And so this morning we're going to look firstly at Jesus calls us to lay up treasures that are incorruptible. He calls us to focus on our God who gives light. And thirdly, he calls us to serve a master who is worthy. Lay up treasures that are incorruptible. Focus on our God who gives light and serve a master who is worthy. So firstly, Jesus calls us to lay up treasures that are incorruptible. Nope, I don't know if that worked. There we go. Um, I can't actually read that screen at the back, so it's pretty pointless for me to have it there, but I can turn around. Um, Look at me again at verse 19 in our passage again. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Every day, each of us in this room are either laying up for ourselves treasures in either heaven or earth. So often we are earthly-minded people, aren't we? We want more money, we want a bigger house, we want a better car, we maybe want recognition from other people, we want that perfect relationship or family. We really want popularity or fame. We want things here and now. But the question Jesus really poses is, which of those things can you take with you? When life on this earth is done, what benefit for what follows will your wealth be? Or the impressiveness of your possessions or the popularity, fame and recognition that you've garnered here on earth. None of those things can we take with us. As the writer to Ecclesiastes calls them, they're all vanity. They're all like chasing after the wind. Not because those things aren't good and in themselves. And not because some of them don't have benefit here and now. We need money to eat. We need a house for our families and so on. But eternally, these things are of no benefit. Eternally, all of them will just fade away. In fact, even now when we put our hope in our things or in other people or whatever earthly thing you might put your treasure in, all of these things can be just taken away in a flash. The applause of other people can quickly fade. Inflation or recessions can ruin our bank accounts, as can job loss or company bankruptcy. Theft of the physical items we love or destruction of them by whatever means it might be. Moth and rust can destroy and thieves can steal. All that we have and hold down here is fleeting, even if it is a good thing. But there is a treasure that is eternal. There is a treasure that is incorruptible. There is a treasure that cannot be stolen from us, that cannot be destroyed. And it's that which is in heaven. It is our inheritance, our treasure in Christ. Now in these verses, Jesus' focus is not on what that treasure actually looks like. That's not what is important here. But rather what scripture is clear in is that it will be beyond our greatest expectations. To see our saviour face to face. To worship him in the fullness of joy. For every tear to be wiped away. 
to be made like our Saviour in resurrected bodies. Our minds boggle at the thought of the glory of it. As D.A. Carson once said, the treasures of the new heaven and the new earth are wonderful beyond our wildest expectations. Sometimes the pages of scripture give us glimpses couched in glittering metaphor as the resources of language are called up to tell us of things still barely conceivable. Our minds cannot comprehend it, but what we do know is that our treasure will be in Christ. He is our hope. He is our joy. He is all that we need and everything that we have, everything that we are, will be given to him in worship. Christ is our great treasure. And the point that Jesus is trying to make here is that all of the treasures we have in him are not like the treasures here on this earth. Because they're incorruptible. They can never be taken away. They can never fade or be destroyed. If you are in Christ, then nothing can separate you from him for all of eternity. Your inheritance, your eternity, your treasure in Christ is eternally secure. Not because of anything you've done, not because of anything you will do in the future, but simply through being united to Jesus through faith alone. By his grace you are saved. By his grace, you are given a treasure that is beyond our comprehension to see and to know the glory of Jesus in its fullness. But how do we actually lay up this treasure? Not how do we earn our salvation. Not how do we earn our way to heaven because we cannot do that. That is simply through Christ. But how do we live with eternity as our goal? Not living for the here and now, but for our eternal future. Well, primarily in this context, Jesus is telling us it's by not laying up treasures here on this earth. Look at me at verse 21. It tells us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we, in light of what Christ has done for us, are seeking to be heavenly-minded people, having our, our heart, our focus, our desire be to our treasure in heaven, then we lay up treasures in heaven by living in a way that shows both to ourselves and to the watching world around us that our treasure is in heaven and everything that we have here on earth is a gift given to us by God. From the breath in our lungs to the cars that we drive to the money in our bank accounts, all of it, all of it is a gift from God and so we should hold them with an open hand. Each of these things given to us by God, they're all fleeting. We've been lent them by God and so we should use what we have for eternal purposes. Using our money to give to the needy as we saw a couple of weeks ago. Or using our money to advance the cause of the gospel and support gospel workers. Using our homes not as our isolated fortresses that is all for us, but as a gift from God that we can use to welcome the marginalized, to show hospitality to the needy, or for fellowship to encourage and build up our fellow believers. Or using our jobs as a place where we can witness to Christ, but also a place where we are going to work without compromise to the kingdom of God. 
No matter what consequences there might be, our jobs and the money and the sense of security they might bring are simply fleeting when compared to the eternal security we have in Christ and our treasure in him. All of our treasures, all of our possessions that we have here and now, let us not clasp them with an iron fist. Rather, let us see their fleeting nature, that one day they will be gone. And so let's use them for the glory of God and for our joy and our delight in Christ. Let's use them for the cause of our treasure that is not fleeting, that is not fading, that is not corruptible. Our treasure in heaven, beholding the glory of Jesus face to face. So we see, firstly, Jesus calls us to lay up treasures that are incorruptible. Secondly, we are to focus on our God who gives light. Look with me again, verses 22 and 23 in your Bibles. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. In the previous verse, Jesus has made mention to our hearts to talk about our desire, our motivation, our whole being. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you lay up your treasure, that is what you're going to live for. But the image over the eyes in this, na- in this next verse is actually the exact same. Again, meaning our devotion or our desire, what we're living for. And here Jesus says that the eye is the lamp of the body. And in one sense, we we know this to be true. Our eyes are where we take in and respond to light. If our eyes are healthy and they're open, then we can see all that is within a a well-lit room and we can move around it with ease. But if we close our eyes, suddenly we're in darkness and things that once were simple or suddenly we find them a lot more difficult. Jesus is saying here that for our eyes to be healthy, for our bodies to be full of light and the benefits that that brings, which we'll come to in a moment, we have to have a single-mindedness to God. We have to have a clear focus on our Savior, otherwise we begin to be in darkness. If you've ever been out cycling with someone on the road or on maybe a towpath, your focus and your vision must be on the path that is before you. Because we all know that if you cycle or even if you walk or drive your car and you're staring at the person beside you or you're staring at the river that you're cycling beside, very quickly you're going to find yourself in the water. We move toward that which we're focused on. We move toward that which we're looking at. And Jesus is saying, focus on God. If you're focused on this world, if you're focused on the here and now rather than our God, then that's what you're going to move toward and away from God. But to focus on God, for him to be our desire, the object of our devotion, then we move toward him and are filled with light. You know, the Bible uses the imagery of light in many different ways. And Jesus is saying here that for us to be filled with light means that we are filled with wisdom and knowledge of God and of his will, how to act in a way that is pleasing to him. 
He uses elsewhere that we're filled with understanding of his word as we're walking in his will and seeking to obey him. Jesus also elsewhere calls his people to be lights of the world. We're to be a people who witness to him in a world of darkness and seek to point others to Christ. If our eyes are fixed on God, that is, if our whole lives are devoted to him, then we are full of light. But if our eyes are distracted, if we're not wholly living for our God but for this world, then we are not full of light, but rather darkness. And how great is that darkness if God hides the light of his presence with us. He is our light. He is the source of our light. And so Jesus calls us to focus on our God who gives light. Jesus demands of us unswerving loyalty to the kingdom of God. So we've seen we're to lay up treasures that are incorruptible. We're to focus on our God who gives light. And thirdly and finally, we're to serve a master who is worthy. Look with me again at our final verse, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus hammers home his point now with his third and final image of the unswerving loyalty to the kingdom that is required of us. And Jesus Jesus emphatically declares that no one can serve two masters. We are not the exception to anything that Jesus has said so far. It's not that other people must be devoted to God, but I can call myself a Christian and live contrary to that. No, no one can serve two masters. Now, Jesus here isn't actually talking about employment because we all know that it is possible to work two jobs and to have two bosses. But rather, Jesus is actually using the imagery of slavery because a slave cannot have two masters. He cannot be a servant and a slave to two people at the same time. Rather, his total allegiance must belong to one master. And so too here, we cannot be a slave or a servant to both God and money. We must choose. Now, the word for for money here can, yes, mean money, but it also has a much more wider reference and can refer to our possessions as a whole, sort of referring back to what we talked about earlier for our treasures. You might see that in the footnotes in your Bible, because we cannot serve both our possessions, striving after them, seeking them above all else. We cannot serve both our possessions and God. Anyone who divides his allegiance between God and his possessions has already given it to his wealth. Because God can only be served with an entire and exclusive devotion. As Isaiah 42 verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. God demands of us an exclusive worship, an exclusive service. Jesus here, as we said, demands of us an unswerving loyalty to the kingdom of God. In our first point, we saw a difference in durability 
fleeting treasures versus an eternal treasure. In our second, we saw the benefits of light versus darkness in following after God. But here we see simply a difference in comparative worth. In the choice of these two masters, which will you serve? Well, the choice should be easy. Because one is intrinsically worthless compared to the other. God alone is worthy of all of our devotion. This is creature versus creator, and there's no comparison. God is the, alone is the one who is the creator of all things. He alone is infinitely glorious and filled with splendor and majesty. He alone is the one who our eyes could not behold him lest we die because of his holiness and his greatness. The Bible tells us before the name of Jesus, one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our God is unfathomable in his greatness and in his goodness. He alone is the one who is worthy of our entire devotion. He has bought us from the pit and misery of our sin with the price of the blood of Jesus himself. We belong to him and it should be our great delight. It should be our great joy to give all that we have in service and in devotion to our king. When it comes to which of these two masters take priority in your life, which will dictate your action which will orientate your life, which will be your great love, who you are devoted to. It must be God. He is the only master who is worthy of your life, who is worthy of your praise, your devotion. Nothing and no one else compares to our Lord. Throughout these three images, Jesus is not saying here that we cannot have money, we cannot have possessions. He's not saying that we cannot save money and be wise with it. He's not saying that you cannot own a simply nice thing or buy someone else a nice gift for their birthday. That is not the point at all. But the question is the one that Joshua posed to the people of Israel. Choose this day whom you will serve. Will your life be spent storing up treasures here, serving the material possessions of this world Or will you look to a greater treasure, a greater master, and will he be the one that you live for? But before we close this morning, and you make a really vital point to help our understanding of these verses and why Jesus is actually telling us these things. Because the correct response to all I've said this morning, the correct response to these three images and the unswerving loyalty that Jesus demands... The correct response from you this morning is not that you're going to try harder this week. The correct response is not, I hear what Jesus is saying, I'm going to pull up my socks and I'm going to serve him properly this week. No, don't pull up your socks, fall on your knees. Because you cannot do this on your own strength. Not this week, not any week, I cannot do this on my own strength any day of my life. Jesus has not told us these words to lay burden upon burden upon your shoulders, that we feel guilty when we come back here next week because we've failed miserably in giving him the devotion that we've ser- what he deserves. 
These verses aren't made here to make us turn our eyes inwards to ourselves and our own ability. But they're to turn our eyes to Jesus. He is the only one. The one saying these words, he is the only one who has ever perfectly obeyed them. The only one in this world who gave unswerving loyalty to the kingdom of God. The only one who perfectly served God and not anything in this world. He is the only one whose eye was truly healthy and full of light. And so this morning, if you're here and if you're not a believer, if you're not trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then please do not take away from this this morning that you're to go and to serve God, to earn some sort of treasure in heaven, or that any form of your obedience or or service will bring you any closer to God. Rather, would you turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Would you put your faith in Christ and know him as your great treasure where one day you will see him face to face with joy inexpressible for all of eternity? But Christian, please do not see this as a push for you to work harder in your own strength this week. Jesus himself says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Would we see our helplessness without Christ this morning? That we cannot serve him rightly for one day of our lives without his grace, but rejoice that he gives more grace. He gives grace to help us turn our eyes from the fleeting treasures of this world and turn our eyes to him. Our God is the only one who is worthy of your praise, who is worthy of your devotion, who is worthy of your life. But we can only give him what he deserves by his grace. Let us not take from this morning that we're going to work harder and do this by our own strength. Let us long to serve God the way he deserves. Let us long to lay up treasures in heaven. But let us begin to do that by falling on our knees in need of grace. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who gives more grace. Lord, we are people who are so incapable of following you the way you deserve for even one day or one moment of our lives. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is worthy of all praise, of all honor, of all devotion. And Father, forgive us for the times that we do try to give you that in our own strength, in our own ability. But Father, would you give us grace? Would you help us? Would you help us turn our eyes away from this world? Would you help us to fix our eyes on Christ? Lord, we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his great name that we pray. Amen. Amen.